welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I think we've been well prepared. Well prepared, hopefully, to receive what God may have for us this morning in and through his word. For those that are here for the first time, uh, we are actually in the midst of a series, and we're up to part 16 of that series, and it's a series that's revolving around the book of Acts. We've called it uh, Rebels, Riots, and Re- oh, sorry, Re- uh, yeah, Rebels, Riots, and Revolutionaries, and um, basically we've just been unpacking some of the history of the early church, and it's not been a line upon line looking at every word and you know, what it means in the Greek and all that sort of stuff. It's not at that level, but we're sort of skimming across and pulling out some of the highlights, and along the way we've met some of the people. Uh, I guess that are, that are key in this, this account of the early church. We met people like um, Peter and John the Apostles and Paul an Apostle and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and people like that. We've read about some of their highs and there's been some amazing things. Many, many people becoming Christians <clears throat> and towns being transformed as, as majorities were getting saved and, um, and, and uh, you know, healings being done and miracles and demons coming out of people and all sorts of stuff as lives are getting put right because of the power of God. We've seen some challenges because not everyone responded well to that and so we've seen People getting abused and kicked out of town and in some cases beaten and flogged and thrown in jail and a whole bunch of stuff has been going on and we've been sort of unpacking, you know, not just what happened but, you know, what can we learn from what happened and what, what, what do the guys tell us about uh, how to live in terms of their responses and so on and so forth. And so today we're up to chapter 17 of Acts and I've, I want to entitle this message Cross-Cultural Connection. Cross-Cultural Connection. And so far in Acts chapter 17, as Seth spoke uh, last night, sorry, uh, Sunday morning, um, we heard, sorry, Tony was sharing um, from Acts chapter 16, and the, the account of Paul and Silas in prison. And so that happened in Philippi. And so after they left prison, they moved on to Thessalonica, and they didn't get a very good reception there. Uh, in the synagogue, and so they were ultimately kicked out of town. So from Thessalonica, they went to Berea. And Berea, Luke was quite impressed by the response of the Bereans to Paul's preaching. He talks about the fact that they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they they not only listened to what Paul had to say, but then they went back to the Scriptures and they checked it all out and they did some research and they convinced themselves that this was the truth. Unfortunately, the guys in Thessalonica heard that it was at Berea, about 50 miles down the road. They they wandered down there and started to agitate there as well. So Paul had to move on again. And so he moved to Athens. And so this morning, and we're going to focus mainly on Paul in Athens. When he arrived in Athens, the first thing we read is that he was distressed at the level of idolatry. Basically, the place in the, in the Greek, it does talk about the fact that this place was overwhelmed. It was swimming in idols. That's the, the sense that we get. There was idols everywhere, and this really upset Paul. And the way he addressed that, or the way he thought, what can I do about this? He did what he normally did. He headed to the synagogue, and he began to preach to the Jews and the, and the, the, um, the Greek believers in God there. And when he was out of the synagogue, he was in the marketplace, and he was just listening to anyone who would talk. He was talking to anyone who would listen about this great gospel that he had to share. Jesus Christ, him dead, buried, resurrected for people's sins, etc., And so he caught the attention of some of the philosophers in the marketplace, and those guys invited him to come back and to share at the Areopagus, which is 
Mars Hill. Basically, it was a place where the, the ruling council of, of Athens met, and a lot of ideas were discussed and things put into place and so on and so forth. And so I just want to pick up um, there. I guess it's interesting, as we finish in, in verse 21, um, as the paragraph finishes in verse 21, it says, All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And that's probably, a, that, that sentence is a whole preach in itself. And I don't want to go there other than to say that there is a difference between, I guess, a Hebrew approach to knowledge and a Greek approach to knowledge. Okay, the Hebrews, knowledge was about learning stuff that you could apply. You know, in other words, it was about gaining wisdom. Okay? For the Greeks, it was more about knowledge for knowledge's sake. It was about the acquiring, the acquisition of knowledge, just for its own sake. And that doesn't necessarily translate into action. And these guys were classic examples of that. You had the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers arguing to and fro about who was right and wrong. But then that's all they did, just sat around talking all day. They didn't actually make a difference in their society. And so I just want to make this point before I really get into what I want to share this morning is that we need to be careful that the approach that we have to our faith is more in the mold of the Hebrew approach to gaining knowledge than the Greek. Because we can have an attitude that says, I just want to gain knowledge. I want to learn more about God. And you can go to Bible school or you can go to theological seminary and you can learn a whole bunch of facts about God. And you can pass tests on your knowledge about God. You can list off the attributes of God. You can talk about God's moving throughout history and all that sort of stuff. But if it doesn't move you to worship God, it's just knowledge for knowledge's sake. And as Christians, we're not called to have knowledge about God. We're called to know God, to actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a massive, massive difference. Again, it's, think about this in your marriages for those that are married. You know, to know all the theory on how to do marriage doesn't mean you'll be a good husband or a good wife. It may just mean that you're an absolute pain in the neck because you're continually telling your partner what they need to do. Okay, so the idea of knowledge is that it might change us and make us better people and move us forward in life. Okay, so that's for free, just sort of thrown in there because I think it's so important we can, we can, we can do Christianity that way if we're not careful. It becomes about just acquiring facts about God but not really allowing then that, that to transform us and to cause us to respond in an appropriate manner. I want to pick up in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, and I'm going to read through to verse 34. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, uh, objects of worship I even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him... We live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. 
He has given proof of all this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So here we have Paul speaking into a foreign culture. And I just want to pick up on a few things. I mentioned that I'm going to be calling this, me- this message is called Cross-Cultural Connection. And I'm just thinking that you might have a few questions about that title. You might be thinking, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, what we're talking about is reaching out to people or connecting with people from other cultures. Okay? It's not that hard. <laughs> the second thing is you might be thinking, well, how does that apply to me? Because I've got no plans to be a missionary. I've got no plans to go to Africa or India or anywhere else. And so if you've got that approach, you might dismiss everything I'm going to say. So I'm saying it's not about that. We need to understand a couple of things about this whole idea of cross-cultural connection. Firstly, is we are living in a multicultural country. The world has come to us. It's no, you know, 200, 300, 400 years ago, people were heading out from England particularly and across Europe and going into those places that, that either had not received the gospel at all, who had received it and, and it had long been since forgotten about. And so people had to go to the ends of the earth. Today, the ends of the earth are coming to us. We cannot avoid that fact. We are surrounded by people of different nationalities and different religions. There's, there's a richness of these cultures around about us. Okay, and so we need to understand that first and foremost. We also need to understand that even outside of that, even just generationally, there's massive culture differences between grandparents, parents, and children. Massive culture. We need to, have to, we need to be able to know how to cross over and connect with people from different cultures, like Paul was able to do. And finally, we need to recognize that even just as a Christian, you have two people grow up in the same home with the same parents. One of those persons becomes a Christian or is a Christian. One either is not a Christian or walks away. There's going to be a massive cultural difference there as well. So we we need to be able to connect cross-culturally because ultimately God has called us as a significant part of our purpose to reach out to others with his love. Our primary reason for being here on planet Earth is about connecting other people to God. So if we don't understand how we can do that, and make the most of the opportunities that are around about us, we're going to fail in a significant part of what we're here for. It's not about how much money you can earn. It's not just about getting married, having kids, and you know, being happy and entertained and all that sort of stuff. But God has left us here for a reason, and it's connect, to connect people to God. If we don't recognize that people are different and they think differently, and we don't make allowances for those differences, we're going to be ineffective. If we just idealistically get on with our religious thing, do what we've always done. Again, all that's going to happen is our circle of influence will get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until we're a self-righteous little few just talking about the fact the world is on the way to hell and thank God Jesus is coming back to rescue us. And that is not the picture that we read of the, Bible, uh, of the church in the Bible. Okay, So I just want to highlight a few things that Paul did in order to connect to these Athenians. Uh, I want to look at com- the fact that he commended them, the fact that he connected with them, and the fact, the fact that ultimately he did confront them as well. And we need to be able to do all of those things. Acts chapter 17, verse 22 to 23, I've read it, but he said this, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar to an unknown God. And so the first thing he does is he just commends them for their religious fervor. If you want to connect with people, I think that's a massive key. Paul doesn't agree with what they're doing, 
But he commends them for their religious fervor, because better that than, than just being apathetic about religion and faith. So he realizes that he's more likely to get a hearing from these guys if he commends them rather than just offends them. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19 is a scripture, one of those things I try and live out of, and it just says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a walled city. How often do we have to fight battles that are of our own making because we've just wandered in and been rude and offensive and people have put their walls up and then we've got to try and get through and dismantle those walls. And yet we actually are responsible for the walls being there in the first place because of our approach. So Paul was smarter than we sometimes are. He goes to these guys, these utter pagans. He's horrified at what he's seen, but he commends them for their religious fervor. If we just criticize people for the things that they're doing wrong, that's what they expect. Christians are known for being bigoted, religious, moralists, taking the high ground, looking down on others, and all of that sort of stuff. And so if that's the approach we take with people, we're just reinforcing their, their bias against us. Whereas if we decide to commend them where we can find opportunity to do so, we might just get a hearing down the track. So let's look to give credit where credit's due. Let's look for the good. Most people are happy for you to say good things about them. Most people aren't going to argue with you if you say something nice about them. And I think that's something that we can use in our favour. Again, if you want to make this practical, wives, or husbands I guess, but often I hear wives talking about their non-Christian husbands in very derogatory terms. They're frustrated, and, and rightly so, with a lot that goes on in a in a home where there's people that are, you know, we've got a Christian and a non-Christian. But the fact that he might not be a Christian doesn't mean that he might not be loyal. doesn't mean that he can't be a, a, a loving and supportive husband or a good father or, so, or the, a, a great provider. There's so many other things. And again, if we focus on the fact that he won't come to church with me on Sunday and make his life miserable based around that fact, is he going to be offended and is he going to build up walls? Or is he going to be open? He's going to get offended. And so let's look for opportunities to, to commend people where it's due. What about those at work? Again, you might not believe in all the nonsense that goes on. They might have posters up around the place that you don't agree with. They might have all sorts of stuff going on. They might have very strong opinions about the church and about Christians and take every opportunity to have a dig at you. But every person is created in the image of God. So therefore, every person... There are moments when that image of God shines through. And we just need to have our eyes open to be able to see that and to look for it. So maybe you know, there's an opportunity to thank your workmates for their loyalty, for their support, for their encouragement. Maybe you just appreciate the fact that you're working with someone who's a hard worker. Yeah, they might be the biggest swearer, biggest drinker, biggest womanizer, whatever else in the place. But the fact that they, they work strongly alongside you and don't leave it all to you, mate, that's something to commend someone about. What about the fact that they might just have a strong sense of justice? They might not believe in God, but they have a strong sense of right and wrong. That's, that could be a starting place. That can be something to commend them about. And so they don't, think, they don't see you as someone who's looking down and judging them, but you're, you're giving credit where credit's due. I remember we had a, a situation quite a few years ago now, um, and uh, there was a guy who came to our church, well, sorry, hadn't come to our church yet, but we, um, he was a friend of someone in our church, and this guy lived as a girl. He was wearing ladies' clothes and um, had been taking hormones and so had breasts 
and was looking at having an operation to complete the change. And this family in our church was going through some, some struggles. The husband in the family particularly was, was struggling. And um, we as a church were trying to offer some support. And then from the other side, there was this other person who was offering support as well. But so we've got this situation. And I know some of, some of the religion in us, in a few of us, was really starting to rise up. And it's like, oh, that person, you know, they're the last person that this person needs to be hanging around with. They've got to cut that person off and they shouldn't be speaking to their life. Look at their life. It's a mess. And I, as I heard people begin to talk like that, something went off in me. I just got angry. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to ring that person and say, thanks so much for all the care that you're showing for, for this person. It was actually Max, um, Sally Graham's husband at the time. And, and um, you know, I just thought, I'm going to disarm this person. I know what they expect from the church. So I'm going to go the opposite. And, ha- and, and I'm, I reckon it messed with his head. Because we saw him at church very soon after that. Whereas it would have been so, what he would have been expecting and probably wanting was to be rejected by the church in order that he could maintain his position on the church and just carry on his merry way. But he wasn't able to do that because he was commended rather than offended. So I guess a question at this point is Am I missing opportunities to commend others and move towards making a connection? The second thing is about making that connection. And again, if we read Paul um, in Acts chapter 17 uh, through 23 to 28, he makes connection before he brings the confrontation. What you worship as something unknown, this unknown God that they've got this altar to, I'm going to make known to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands, and he's not served by human hands if he needs anything. And then he goes on, Though he's not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's in quotes in your Bible. And also, is, uh, we are his offspring. And he's quoting their own po- uh, poets at that particular point in time. He's not quoting the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, So he's making this connection. He's highlighting the common ground. Rather than pointing out all the obvious differences between them, he goes for the common ground in order that he can build from there. So he speaks into the area that people are likely to be keen about. Because they've got all these gods all over the place. We heard about some of those this morning from Drew. Uh, but there's all these gods that these people were worshipping, sacrificing to, living their lives for. And he says, but there's this unknown God. Would you like to hear a little bit about him? Straight away, people go, oh, that'd be interesting. Because somehow in the heart of the Greeks, while they thought they had most of their, bo- their, their bases covered, there was this there was still this God-shaped hole that wasn't being filled by the one true God. And so they thought, we'd better try and cover the base, just in case. And so he says, I can talk about him. I can make him known to you. He makes the connection. He speaks about things which are self-evident. He talks about God and says, as if he needed anything. Because again, the, the, the gods that the Greeks worshipped, they were just like one step up from humanity, really. But really, if you take time to think and you contemplate a God who can create all things that are seen and unseen... And you logically draw that conclusion to where it should go. It's like, really, what can we do for him? So he appeals to their own sense of, of, I I guess, um, reason about those things that are self-evident. He uses language that they can understand. He uses general terms that people find easy to understand and, and accept. He uses their own poetry to support his claims. And again, how would that apply to us? You know, maybe we could be appealing to music or to movies or things because there are so many things out there. I think our problem as Christians often 
is that if we meet a Muslim or if we meet a Hindu or a Buddhist or an atheist or whatever, we often tend to focus on the things that we've got differently. We've often already offended them from the start. And then we just want to focus the things that are different rather than try and bring them towards us by showing, hey, these are the things that we can actually agree on. And let's look at those things and then see where you go from there. Again, I had a situation some time ago when I was asked to go and, and talk to a lady who had been involved in, in New Age stuff. And um, she had basically got herself into this situation where um, she was being spiritually tormented. Okay? And her life was a mess. She was suicidal and all sorts of stuff was going on in her head and in her body. And it just her life was a mess. And she was a friend of a lady in our church. And so the lady in our church says, look, could you have a talk to my friend? I said, yeah, look, love to. She says, there's only one problem. She said, you can come and talk to her, but she said, she won't let you, as long as you don't mention Jesus, Christianity, or demons. <laughs> because, you know, she's, a, she's into new age and she, she doesn't believe those things. So I thought, okay, well, I could have got, again, all self-righteous. Oh, well, she's not willing to hear the gospel, you know. But I thought, no, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to go there and see what happens. And so what we did, we, we talked, I talked to this young lady Heard her out, validated her experiences, because again, a lot of people, she probably just thought, you know, once you start talking about spiritual stuff, a lot of people, they just think straight away, you're nuts. And so just validated the fact that she was talking about what had happened and how she had invited this spirit in and all the stuff that surrounded that and how it had been great at the start, but eventually things had turned and now she'd been tormented. And so I was just able to validate that. I say, yeah, okay, I get it. I believe you. No problem. Because it's, it's not too dissimilar to my worldview as a Christian. I believe in a spirit realm. I believe in things that are unseen, that are real. And so um, the long and short of it is, I heard her out and asked her some questions about what she believed, and obviously she believed in the spirit realm. She did believe in good spirits, and she did believe because of what she's experienced, that she had to believe in evil spirits as well. And so having got all that information that she agreed about, that that I also believed, I then said to her, oh, would you be interested to hear how that fits into my framework as a Christian, because the Bible is, you know, talked about worldview a little bit, and how the, the Bible sort of fills in a whole lot of gaps about a whole lot of things, and it's a complete worldview. And I said, and what you're experiencing and all that you've told me fits very, very nicely into what the Bible actually says goes on. And so then she sort of was a little bit, oh, okay, then tell me. You know? So I was able then to talk to her about the fact, yeah, look, the Bible talks about evil spirits. The Bible talks about good spirits. It talks about angels. It talks about demons. So I've used the word. But she's not offended now because she's listening. Yeah. All right, she feels heard. We then talk about talk a little bit further, and then it's the point where okay, that doesn't change her position. So then we need to go further. So, well, you know, like where you're at at the moment, do you see any way out of this? No, or well, medication doesn't work. Psychologist and psychiatrist hasn't worked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, so if I could share something from you about what the Bible says about the possible some possible help from you, would you be open to that? So straight away we're talking, we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about who he is, we're talking about the fact that he created all things, that he's the king, that he's the one who brings freedom, that what he's done enables her to be free. It was so easy to connect with that lady because I didn't, I guess, do what she expected, but I looked for our common ground. And again, even if they're atheists, we can still commend them because they're still using their brain. They just haven't seen what they need to see yet. But, but perhaps they've just looked at some of the hypocrisy in religion and they thought, I don't want to borrow that. Well, we can still commend them about that because we want to live in the real world. Okay, and then we can perhaps help to show them some things that will help them to move from atheism to, to believe in the possibility of God. But for those that do believe in God, mate, that's great. We can rest assured that they haven't found him yet. We can rest assured that while they might be a little bit happier to... Acknowledge a God who has a moral system in place, 
but they haven't fulfilled that moral system. And so we can begin to move people from where they are to something greater. You know, Jesus said it's the truth that set you free. It talks about the fact that those who seek will find. And I think, let's commend people for being on a journey. And then let's just try and coax them further along the journey than where they currently are, rather than offend them and, and, and set up this, this um, standoff. Again, is it in Australia? It's probably the same in the world, but certainly Australians. You know, we love to, I think the approach we take to our faith sometimes is, is like the approach we take to our footy team. You know, your crows or your power. And it's about who's better. And again, if I'm a Christian or a Muslim, it can be about who's better. You know, we set up a confrontation rather than looking for the opportunity to connect. Because if, if what we have is real, and it is, they're going to sense that. They're going to know that. And they're going to know that what they haven't got is real. And so while they might initially throw their arguments and talk about what they've learned and the culture they've been brought up in, if we just continue to be consistently consistent and extend love and grace to people, it becomes self-evident. Again, we've heard Norm's story. Avowed atheist. But just being amongst those that are in the presence of God has an impact. So we don't need to get intimidated or confrontational let's just, uh, or, or rude about it. Let's just look for opportunities to connect. It's not compromise. It's not compromise. Paul did that. You know, he spoke, in him we live and move and have our being. He quoted, oh, shock horror, a Greek philosopher or poet. We are his offspring. Again, there are many religi- religions across the world and philosophies only stand because of the truth they have. If everything they said was a blatant lie, it would be obvious that you don't get involved in that religion. But the reality is every religion has an element of truth. If, if, if a religion talks about having God, that, that's true. God exists. We are his offspring. We can use that as a connection point. Okay, We don't need to just get all thingy about, oh, if I talk to that person, am I going to get demonized? And you know, There's so much stuff out there that I think that the Christian subculture that's unhelpful. We can reach out confidently to people on the basis of the truth that they have and then we can help line it up with what the Bible says and affirms and then take them beyond where they are. And ultimately that's the... You know, Paul spoke about being all things to all men and that's exactly what he was talking about. He says, you know, to the slave I become a slave. To the Jew I become like a Jew. To the Gentile like a Gentile. He said, I'll do all things I can to admit that I might reach some. And you and I, sometimes our Christianity is going to look different in the way that we're talking to people. Sometimes we're going to look licentious as we talk about our Christianity. Sometimes we're going to look moralistic as we talk about it. Because if you're talking to a Muslim, one of the problems they have with Christianity, it just seems so licentious. They, they perceive the, the West, the Christian West, is just, you know, they see the movies, they see the way women dress, they see all this sort of stuff, and they think, you guys are so licentious. You don't have any moral standards. And so as a Christian talking to a Muslim... We've got to talk about the fact that we do believe in absolutes. We do believe in a moral God who's a judge. We do believe in moral standards. For others who, who are just living as they please, the place isn't to start with moralistic, you've got to stop that, you shouldn't do that. It's about God accepts you as you are. You come into a relationship and he begins to change you. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, I become all things to all men. So what common quick ground can we find with people that's going to help connect them in order that we might move forward together. I said there's so many opportunities out there. It could be. I'm looking forward to, um, I discovered at the end of the year, or start of yeah, uh, New Year's, sorry, Christmas Eve, no, day after, they're bringing out Les Miserables. Now, I love Les Miserables. It's an awesome um, book slash musical, and they're bringing out the musical in a film. And Hugh Jackman is playing Jean Valjean, and Russell Crowe is playing Javert, 
And, oh, I've forgotten the young lady now, um, but she's playing one of the other ladies. <laughs> but it's going to be awesome. I love it. It's a story of redemption. It's a story about a guy's salvation and how it translates into his life. And so if that doesn't provide some opportunities to connect with people who don't believe in God, if it doesn't create some conversations, there's going to be something wrong with me and something wrong with us. Again, some of the music that people are listening to, that there's, there's truths that they're listening to and, and, and being drawn towards because it's eternal truth. And again, if we can make the connection through the music and then bring them to the truth of the gospel, I think that's powerful. Maybe our connection point could be parenting issues. It could be divorce and remarriage. It could be struggles currently with, parent, with marriage. I, mean, I know there's a couple in this church, well, many couples in this church, but, but one in particular I know said, if we didn't come to know Jesus, we would be divorced now. We would be separated. So I don't know, when that person's talking to people about um, marriage difficulties, I think that's a connection point that ultimately they can then make them work on later on to help introduce the person to Jesus because it's Jesus that made the difference. And that's my third point. It's about confrontation. Paul, having done all that I've said he's just done, he comes to the point where he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus, and he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when I say confront, I'm not saying be rude, arrogant, critical, harsh, and all that sort of stuff, which sometimes comes to mind when we hear that word confront. I'm just saying, no, at the end of the day, people need to come face to face with the truth. It can be done gently, it can be done sensitively, but at the end of the day, people need to know there's a God who is going to judge. They already know inside that disconnected from him. And so we need to be able to just communicate the way to Jesus. We need to get around to what God expects. I mean, the connection point, as I said before, it might be that someone's marriage is falling apart. They don't know where to turn. They turn to the church. Or they turn to a, a Christian friend who comes to a church. And they've seen where they were. They've seen where they are. The connection point is the marriage. But the confrontation is, hey, look, if you want a marriage like mine, I can give you some books to read and I can do it. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But really, the reason my marriage is working is an inside job. It's the fact that I've come to Jesus and I've been changed from the inside out. And yes, there's some biblical truths about how we can do marriage better. But I was failing at doing those things. before. I, st- I knew what to do before, but my marriage was still in a mess. We were still on the path to separation. But since I met Jesus, and you can only have it if you submit to Jesus. You can't just come to Jesus and say, give me, give me, give me, give me. It's about submitting. That he needs to be- can you see how I'm saying? We get to the point, it's not being rude and arrogant and brash. And, you know, we've, there's examples at the moment in the mall of people that are just getting in people's face on their way to work and after work and all that sort of stuff. They have, they're not commending. They're not connecting. They're just criticizing and they're confronting. But they haven't got the connection with people. And so it's easy to dismiss someone like that. You just take offense and you say, ah. We just need to remember it's the Holy Spirit's role to convict. That's what he does. He works on truth to help people to see where they do or don't line up to that truth. And so we just need to make sure the truth gets out there. And again, we're not in this alone. We are part of a church. And certainly as a part of the leadership team of this church, everything we do is aimed at supporting you guys, equipping you guys, helping you guys to reach your family, your friends. This isn't a, a one-off event. It's not like you know what I've talked about may happen in one conversation, like that lady I spoke about before where 
able to bring her from, from a new age understanding to understand that she needed Jesus. Sometimes it happens like that. But sometimes it can take one conversation or two or a, you know, a month or a six months or a year. But it's about getting people on the journey. And it's about, yes, we, we commend people where we can. We try and get them to, to, I guess, understand that we're for them, not against them. We then look for opportunities to connect. But down the line, somewhere, we've got to be able to confront them with the truth of the gospel. Now, you might be a deaf mute who can't communicate. You don't have to even. There is so much good resources out there on the internet, the church here, coming, just getting people to church, let them hear a message. There's all these different ways that people can come under the hearing of the word of the God. We're not responsible to do the whole thing. We're responsible to be drawing, leading people on a journey and helping them and saying where we need to, what we need to say. Are we clear enough about what God says about situations? Because it's not good enough, like I said, to connect on the basis of marriage. That, that's great. But if we don't go beyond, if we don't let people know why they think we're such a nice person, if I don't let people know why they think our kids are so wonderful or our friends are so supportive and all that sort of stuff, those are connection points. We've got to go beyond that. We've got to give them the reason why these things, why we stand out differently in this world. Just in conclusion, we see the consequences. We see that some sneered. Some said, oh, stupid resurrection, as if. Some said, hmm, interesting concept. I'd like to hear more about that. And some believed. Again, it's not our responsibility to save people. We can't. Our responsibility is to present people with truth in the most palatable way possible and let them, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, either accept or reject what's been put to them. Three different responses to the gospel. And the other really cool thing is that even those that sneered on that day may have been converted in the coming weeks, months, or years by those that believed on that day or those that went away and got their questions answered. I love that. But let's just do our bit and allow the Holy Spirit to do his bit because we're doing our bit. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.